I'd like to look with you at Psalm 42 this morning, Psalm 42, and I believe by now you know from your studies and your own reading that there's different genres of psalms. There's psalms that show us how to be happy and to celebrate, how to thank God. There's some for coronations, there's some for confessing sin, and there's some for being sad. There's some for lament. Psalm 42 is squarely a psalm of lament. Uh, The ascription ascribes it to the sons of Korah, but it's written singularly. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Please be seated. Several years ago, a woman in our congregation caught me shortly after our Good Friday service that year. And uh, I'm going to be vague here because she's a member of our church and um, she might somehow listen to this one day. But uh, this is a woman I've known for over 15 years and she's been through some profound hardships. And so when she tells me that she's in turmoil, she's in turmoil. She's not the hypochondriac type. And she came to me and said, "Um, I've been in a season because of something extremely painful and difficult for me where I found myself basically without words saying to God, I trust you to save me and I trust you to forgive my sins, but I don't trust you to understand how I feel. 
And she was honest about the fact that I'm not I'm not saying that I should feel that or that I should communicate that to God, but that that was what was in my heart. Now that's part one of the story, and I'll tell you part two in a little bit. But can you resonate with that? Uh, we're not talking about sort of day in day day out disappointments or setbacks or things not going the way we want to, having a bad day. But we're talking about have you ever experienced what the psalmist calls turmoil? Uh, turmoil is that feeling when you're inside your churning. Uh, turmoil. I know I'm in turmoil when I'm showering and I can't remember if I've used the soap or not. And I'm not being funny. I mean, I'm so preoccupied. I'm so in pain that I can't remember. Is this the beginning of the shower or the end? This psalmist writes out of turmoil. And again, God, by his spirit, puts this in the canon to give his people the language for what do you do when you're in that kind of pain? What do you do when you have that sort of turmoil and sadness and heartbreak? I want to ask three questions of, of the psalm, and I'm going to speak in terms of the psalmist. Now, again, the ascription uh, assigns this to the sons of Korah, but the psalm is written as being spoken by an individual, my soul, my soul, me, my. Um, it's obviously very related to Psalm 43, but it is revealed as, a, as an individual psalm, so I'm just treating the psalm individually. But here, here's the questions I want to ask of this psalm. First off, what does the psalmist feel? And I think you've already heard part of that. But what does the psalmist feel? What does the psalmist recognize? And then what does the psalmist do about it? All right, what does the psalmist feel? What does the psalmist recognize? And then what does the psalmist do about, do about it? Okay, first off, what he feels, look at the language, the descriptive language. Look at the beginning of verse three. My tears have been my food day and night. Now, I've had some hard cries before, and I've had some long cries before. But he says, my tears have been my food day and night. The image that this always brings to my mind was the first peer friend I ever had who lost a parent. Um, we were very good friends in college together, and we were when we were in undergraduate his mother unexpectedly died. Uh, I remember the voice on the old-fashioned little cassette message recorder from his sister saying, something's wrong with mom. You need to come down to Jackson, Mississippi, where we're both from. And by the time he got there, she was dead. And so the next day I went to his house, and this was new territory for me. I'd never had a friend lose a parent. And so I go over to the house, and I just know I need to be there. I don't know what to do. But uh, he was not in the living room with everybody. He was back in his bedroom, and I walked back there, and he was sitting in a chair. And I've never seen anyone do this with a towel. I've seen people burn through Kleenexes, but he had one towel, and it was just getting wetter and wetter and wetter as he just cried and cried and cried. And, and the psalmist is saying, I, I'm walking around with my towel day and night. This is not just a bad day. Uh, verses 5 and 11, and this, this refrain is shared in Psalm 43. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? This is not just an off day. This is turmoil. This is churning. And then look at the language of verse 10. As with a deadly wound in my bones. And that's something I've never experienced. You know, you can get cut. You can get cut pretty bad. 
you can get a cut down to your bone, but to have a deadly wound in your bones means to have the kind of wound where you'll bleed out. He says, that is what I'm going through emotionally. A deadly wound in my bones. Now, it's easy to run to how this affects us and how we experience sadness, but, but first off, this was not first revealed to us. We're the beneficiaries of it, and it is God's word for us, but this was first for Israelites. Think about what it was like for an Israelite, even an Israelite who doesn't have the whole canon, but they have the Torah. And think about it, what it was like to hear in the Torah from what we call Exodus 19, that God says, you're my treasured possession. You'll be to me a kingdom of priests. The scriptures that say that you're the apple of my eye, you're my beloved people. Think about what if you're hearing that language from the Torah, but you're in deep, deep pain in your individual life from death or loss, or heartbreak. You know, depression didn't start like in the 1980s. There were Israelites that experienced that too, whether it was from physiological reasons or circumstantial reasons. Think about being what we would call a depressed Israelite in the Torah, given this exalted language of how much God loves you and favors you and is near you and is with you and your heart's breaking. But then do think about us. Uh, I, I don't know what your life is like right now, but, you know, it could be the case that some of you have, this might be a parent, could be an uncle or a grandparent or a friend. You might have someone speaking into your life saying, man, what a special time in your life. You, you, you had wanted to do this and you're getting to study the Bible more deeply than you ever have before. You're getting to study the languages, systematic theology, church history. It must be amazing. And like for some of you, you may be newlyweds. Or maybe you have your first child. You may have some voice in your life saying, boy, this, this must be the happiest time of your life. And the reality might be that you are very down. Might be from something within. Might be from something without. Might be physiological. Might be circumstantial. Might be spiritual attack. But you're hearing you should be happy right now, and you're not. In fact, it may, it may be that I'm looking at somebody who is the saddest you have ever been. I hope that's not the case. But, but can't that be in this room? <clears throat> the psalmist is in turmoil. So what does the psalmist recognize? Now, I, I, want, I want to look at two things that he recognizes. And I'm going to put air quotes around one of them because it borders on heresy, okay? Here's the air quotes. The psalmist recognizes that as far as this turmoil goes, God is the problem and God is the solution. And by problem, I mean that the psalmist recognizes this comes from you. I mean, you are God after all. Look at what he says. Verse 7, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now, I've seen at least one commentary that, that thought that that was speaking about the waves of God's grace. Does it sound like that to you? I, even though I haven't really used the image of Lord, your breakers are breaking over me. I've, I've heard people, Christian or not, talk about sadness or depression coming in what? Waves. And now I would never do this in my own pulpit, but this is a seminary that takes the languages seriously. Uh, in the original, that language of deep to deep 
to home, el to home, to home, el to home. It's onomatopoeia. You know what onomatopoeia is? Like buzz. It's when the sound of the word captures the reality it conveys. To home, el to home, wave after wave of pain. Who's the source of the waves? God is the source of the waves. They're your breakers. They're your waves. You're God. It's not like anything's out of your control. Look at what he says in verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And all this is aggravated by the fact that the psalmist has people in his life who are asking what question? Look in verse 3. They say to me all the day long, where is your God? Look in verse 10, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? This is an ancient situation where a believer has people in his or her life who say, you know, who may not share that person's theology and belief and views, but who who says, okay, I know that you believe that God is good and you believe that God is powerful and you believe that God is loving. If God is so loving, And if he's so powerful, why is it like this for you right now? It's exactly what's happening to the psalmist. Where's your God if you're so sad? You know, if if you're walking around with your crying towel all day, people notice. So at one level, God is the air quotes problem. And God is the solution for the psalmist. Look at how the psalm begins. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now, the psalmist knows that he is about to express that you are the source of those waves. And it seems like you have forgotten me. That's exactly what I'm about to write in this psalm. But how does the psalm start? I thirst for you, the source of those waves. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And look in verse 8. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And in the ESV, you know what that translates. Chesed. Loyal love. Tenacious love. Pursuing love. Covenant love. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Now, if if you have young children, or if you've cared for young children, I want you to think about this. Uh, Young children, when they can start putting their own food in their mouths, tend to be very binary about food. Like food is is one of two types. It's either grown-up approved or yummy. And those are all, those are the only options. And what we like to see is as children get older is that maybe there's a little more nuance to that. Like maybe the slices of orange that mom and dad think is good for you uh, also taste good. Or maybe the thing that initially doesn't taste good to you will one one day taste good to you. Coffee tasted horrible to me when I started. Now I love it. And you may think that's a food that's not good for you. And I would just say to please keep your views to yourself. But, But, you know, maturity... And growth looks like uh, uh, maybe there's more categories than either the grown-ups approve of it and want me to eat it, or it's something that I like and it's yummy. Now, I, I want you to think about how the psalmist expresses sadness and heartbreak in terms of his face. 
Now, it's, it doesn't come through as clearly in the English, but this refrain in verses 5 and 11, and again, it's shared in Psalm 43. <clears throat> Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Now, the ESV renders it, my salvation and my God. My salvation renders Hebrew that literally says, the salvation of my face. It's a very Israelite way of talking. This is, this is where your heart manifests itself. When the heart is downcast, the face is downcast. God, if you save this, it means you saved my heart. It means you saved my insides. Think about when you're looking in the mirror and you're getting ready for a day and, you're, and you are tired and your heart is breaking or your, your heart is despondent and you're going to brush your teeth and you're looking at your face and you see that you're down. And I have had days where I thought I would pay $5,000 that I don't have to go to that meeting this morning or even to preach this morning. And I love preaching. And it gets my blood, sweat, and tears. But I've thought, I am so despondent right now. I feel so sad right now. It's all I can do to finish brushing my teeth. Now, what immaturity spiritually looks like is when I see that on my face, to think, well, either my face looks like that or God loves me. And what spiritual maturity looks like is that we can do this both and. That that's what my face looks like. And God loves me. And I have his steadfast love right now. And he keeps his covenant right now. And he's always with me, even when my face looks like that. So what does the <clears throat> psalmist then do with this feeling and this recognition? Three things. First off, he remembers. There's all kinds of scriptures that call us to remember who God is and what God does. Look at what the psalmist says in verse 4. <clears throat> it says, I'm going around, tears are my food day and night. People are taunting me, where's God? Where's your God? Verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Now, what is the psalmist saying? Right now when I sing the psalms, right now when I sing the songs of Zion, right now when I think about God, right now if I want to go worship with God's people, I don't feel like that. But I remember when I did experience that. I experienced that. Verse 6. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Um, <clears throat> one of the best descriptions I ever heard of depression, this is from someone who had experienced clinical treatment-resistant depression. He said this, the first thing depression does is it gets its foot in the door of your life. And then the second thing it does is it kind of wedges its whole body till it gets all the way in the room and the door closes behind it. Then he said, but then the last thing depression does, is, and this is the most insidious part of it, and he said this from experience, is that depression looks at you and it says, hey, you know all those times back in the past when you had joy and you felt some lightness 
that was delusional. This is real. And the psalmist says, I remember when I had joy. I have not always felt this way. My heart has not always been like it is today. And I remember who God is. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the creator and he is the redeemer. Whether I feel that or not, I remember. Second, he talks to God. That really is the amazing thing about this psalm is that I am going to the God who's the source of the waves that hurt so bad when they hit me. Look at what he says in verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Now, this is a wonderful thing about the Psalms. This is the kind of thing that led Calvin to say that it's the, it's the anatomy of the soul. That the Psalms give us permission when our heart is breaking to say to God reverently, but honestly, why? Why is it like this? Why are you not making it stop? There's Psalms that give us the language of how long. Now, that the Psalms don't give us the language of how dare you. Like it's God's job to give me the life that I envision and that I want. It's not how dare you. But there is a place, brothers and sister, sisters, in your life for how long and why. You need to learn how to say that to God. But besides talking to God, there's another party that the psalmist talks to. The psalmist talks to himself. Again, this refrain in verses 5 and 11 and in Psalm 43. When he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Who is he talking to? Or let me be grammatically appropriate. To whom is he talking? <laughs> to whom is he speaking? He's speaking to himself. Self, why are you so downcast? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in tur turmoil within me? And then this exhortation to himself. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I shall again praise him. He's the salvation of my face, of your face, self, and he's my God. Um, let me hide behind Martin Lloyd-Jones here. I think we can safely say that Martin Lloyd-Jones was not uh, overly therapeutic or liberal. <clears throat> and he says in his book, Spiritual Depression, now get this, he's talking about Believers talking to themselves. Quote, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. And then Lloyd-Jones says this, the main art, that's a great way to put it, the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. And here's how he captures what, what when you grab yourself, how do you speak to yourself, preach to yourself? 
He says, defy yourself, defy other people, and defy the devil and the whole world, and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. Now, I'll tell you from my little limited experience, when you do this, it's like it's like an out-of-body experience. If you are there at the mirror and you're about to brush your teeth and you see how despondent you are, and I bet you have a particular look when you feel that way. I have a very dear friend. We have a standing breakfast on Thursdays, and he really knows me really well. He's one of my best friends. And one time I showed up for breakfast and my face looked like that. And he said, you know what? When you get really down, your face looks so distinct, I could describe it to a police sketch artist. So what do you do when you have that look and you're looking at yourself to learn how to say, I know you don't feel this is true. But whether you feel it or not right now, God has not changed. You have God's steadfast love right now. He's with you right now. And you have experienced joy with him. And you're going to experience joy again. He's going to save your face. You need to hope in him. Do not be led by what you feel right now. Be led by who God is and what you know to be true about him. And when you do that, the out-of-body experience is that you're saying that to yourself in the mirror and you're sort of off to the side going, Wow, look at us. But that is spiritual maturity. Um, I, I would just say this to you as a brother and as somebody who would wish you well. I don't want you to experience heartbreak and I don't want you to be despondent and I don't want you to be in turmoil, just like I don't want to have turmoil and I don't want to have my heart broken. But it's a big old fallen world, isn't it? And we're called to suffer. Sometimes it's from without. Sometimes it's from ministering to others. Sometimes it's from within. Sometimes it's physiological. Sometimes it's satanic. But when you're really, really sad, it's very difficult to give a specific recipe. You just know what you feel. And so here's what I want to exhort you to remember. Our Savior seems to have at least alluded to, virtually quoted Psalm 42, the night before he was crucified. My, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. Most commentators think he is at least referring to Psalm 42. And to remember, my, my God knows me. And he not only sends waves of sadness, he has let the worst waves of sadness and heartbreak and pain crash into him for me. And I'll end with this. I told you there's a part two to the woman's story. She said, I came into the Good Friday service that year. Again, feeling like, God, I trust you to save me. I trust you to forgive my sin. I don't trust you to understand how I feel. And then she said, and then we read the scriptures related to the Good Friday service. At how he suffered. And just the scriptures being read, it drove home to me. Yes, he does. And if you have seen the Son, you have seen the Father. 
Not just God the Son, but God the Father knows how your heart breaks. And His steadfast love is with you. So one of these days when your heart's really sad, maybe it's today, maybe it's 10 years from now, remember and talk to God and talk to yourself. And tell yourself that He who did not spare His own Son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things, even saving this face? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we praise you. You who are the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit, you who are the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you for your steadfast love, O Lord. We praise you that your steadfast love is with us day in and day out, that you will not leave us or forsake us, that you delight in your children, that if you send us waves of pain or heartbreak, turmoil, Lord, it's a father letting his children be disciplined. You're crafting us. You're not lashing out at us. You're crafting us. But behind that is your love and your mercy. Now, Father, for any who are here who bear a great weight this morning, whose hearts are heavy, who, who might even say they are in, are in turmoil, would you enable that child to remember who you are, to remember joy they've had in the gospel, to talk to you and rightly to talk to themselves. And would you bring healing and would you save their face? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.